Let's go in-depth on Iowa State with the Des Moines Register. It's time, it's time for Cyclone Insider on 1460 KXNO. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Insider Radio Hour from the Des Moines Register here on 106.3 FM and 1460 KXNO. I'm Travis Hines. He's Randy Peterson coming to you on another Monday with another Iowa State loss on the gridiron with another kind of head-scratching performance by the Iowa State offense coupled with yet another fantastic performance by the Iowa State defense that nonetheless resulted in a 20-14 to loss Saturday at Oklahoma State. Cyclones now 4-6 and six overall, 1-6 and six in the Big 12. Randy, we always like to start off this show on a positive note. Yeah. So let's just jump right in, though. I mean, is there anything worth talking about besides how Iowa State's offense got to the point where it's – I mean, that, that had to be the bottom, right? Five turnovers, completely failed to get a running game going against the league's worst running defense. It just – I don't know how it gets much worse than that. Yeah, you and I were both talking to a person yesterday in the airport someplace, and that person said, look at how many Iowa State offensive linemen have been, who was the last Iowa State offensive lineman had been, that had been drafted, and off the t- at that time I did, not, I did not remember that it was Carter Bykowski in 2013. That person said. 2013. That, 2013. That person said, said, how many offensive linemen, for example, has Northern Iowa had drafted in that time? How many offensive linemen during that time has Iowa had drafted during that time? How many offensive linemen have have the big have other schools in the Big Twelve have drafted during that 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 time? So, in preparation for this show, your old pal did the research. Um, You're um, the one that said old, not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, every team in the off, in the Big Twelve has had an offensive at least one offensive lineman drafted since 2013. Um, Kansas from Kansas at one to Oklahoma at nine. Everybody, okay. The other two, somewhat routine. The other two routine schools, customary schools on Iowa State schedule. Iowa has six offensive linemen drafted since Iowa State's had an offensive lineman, and Northern Iowa, one in each of the past two years. What's that? What that? That's that a tells huge me a whole lot. That is a huge indictment. Yeah, of their. Recruiting or development? Take your pick. Both. Both. Yeah, I mean it's some. I mean I think that is that is putting in black and white what the NFL looks like, the way they look at Iowa State's offensive line, and what we're seeing on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. That 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 group is just trailing really, really badly. I mean to go. I mean it'll be a decade. Twenty thirteen. It'll be the twenty twenty three NFL draft is the next one. I'm not thinking Iowa State is going to have a player hear their name. I guess maybe downing, but who knows? But yeah, I think that that puts a stark quantitative number on what Iowa State has had up front to not have a single offensive lineman drafted in a decade when Northern Iowa's had two, Kansas has had one. I mean, that's that ain't good, Randy. Is my official prognosis? You can't, there. How do you hang? How do you hang with the Big Twelve when it, when when that's the case? I don't get it. I mean, the, the amazing part is, is that Iowa State's had two All-American running backs during that time. Yeah, that is amazing. <laughs> and they've had they had 
what a tight before, they've got two tight ends drafted in the NFL or two two tight ends in the NFL and before those two uh, all American running backs they had a running back set the freshman record for rushing yards and Mike Warren who then never saw the field again but still set the rushing record and a quarterback who was statistically the best quarterback in Iowa State history yeah and two guys that are probably among the top five in Iowa State receiver wide receivers of all time and Alan Lazard and Xavier Hutchinson and then Hakeem Butler's probably got. A say in there too. <laughs> I d- wow, yeah. Um, I mean, and again, like the NFL might draft be worth picks, the Tulsa someday, but the NFL draft picks—that's one data point. But when you put that's it, it's a huge data. Point. It's a huge data point, but you you tie it yeah. with the eye test. You tie it with you know the criticism that that group has gotten. You know, you can take it back to 2013 if you want. I think obviously, like the the more germane part of this conversation is going back to year two under Campbell in 2017, right? Like that has always been, everybody has been jumping up and down saying that offensive line is just not as good as the rest of that team. And that's what's holding them back from taking an even bigger step forward. And again, the bar is higher now because of what the team has done. So these are elevated expectations from what anyone would have had in 2013, 2014 and all the way through. But when you're competing for a Big 12 championship like they did in 2020, when you're a top 10 team heading into the year in 2021, the expectations are higher. You can't have a mediocre offensive line to bad offensive line, a regressing offensive line, and expect to get to your best version of yourself, to steal a phrase. And obviously the expectations this year were not what they were before. You know, I don't think it's any... If Iowa State ends up with four or five wins this year... I don't think that's any huge indictment of the program at large and its overall direction. I think the fact that you had this offensive line that had a ton of praise from the coaches, a ton of experience, and they didn't they not only did not take a big step forward, I think they've probably gotten they have not progressed as you would hope throughout a season. I think that is an indictment. And I, I don't know what you do with that given where they are, but like it's no great sin for Iowa State after the best run of five years in school history to take a, a step back, especially when you look at that defense with all the youth. I think there's still a lot of talent on offense, even if that group has not been as good as it probably should have been. Like there's plenty to look forward to and say, like, this is not indicative of a collapse of the Matt Campbell program. But I think if you want to keep moving forward, you have to be clear eyed about why this offense specifically is struggling so badly like nobody was expecting this to be a dynamic you know top 10 scoring offense but you can't be among the worst in the country and not and just say eh, we're young well you're not really that young up front you're 10 games in you're 10 games in you have one of the best wide receivers in school history you have a quarterback that you went all in on yep this offseason like whatever you think of hunter deckers and i think he's probably better than his stats indicate this year that Iowa State made no moves to try to do anything other than give him the job. So I think you have to look at this clear-eyed if you're Campbell right now, play out the last two games of the season, and then really look specifically up front, and then probably throughout that whole offense of why did things get so bad this year. They didn't have to be great, but they should have been better than where they are now. And you and I were talking about this in the airport, or someplace, I don't know where, over the weekend. Campbell's not immune to blowing things up either. He... What he um, first major thing he did was after Kent State, I don't know whatever game that was, they went to the three man defensive front in 2017, I think, right? Yeah, something early in that season, by the way, three or four games in. Yeah, 
And okay, I'd say that's blowing up stuff. The next, or <coughs> shortly thereafter, new defensive, new, um, sorry, new um, strength and conditioning coach. And Rudy Wade had been with him for a long time, right? Like he was back to Toledo, the guy that they fired. I don't know that. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, Candy, um, the program, the direction of the program. that, that And brought in a really highly respected guy. Dave Andrews, like yes. Swung from, from the fences. From Pittsburgh and, and has many players in the NFL. Um, yeah, so he blew up he, he blew up the strength and conditioning um, staff. So he's not immune to to making to making changes. I'm with you though. Is one season an indictment that everything needs 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 changed? Major changes. Well, I think you look at that in two ways. Do you look at it as one season with a whole lot of yeah. new players? Or do you look at it, the offensive line has been a big problem, and when you take away some of the best players in school history, this is what you get. You get an t- offense that ranks among the worst and least productive in the country. Or do you look at it as not just the offensive line, having the best players in school history made everything look better. The plan wasn't great to begin with, and it just got you overachieved because you had the best players in school history. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I, to me, I think you look you can't look at the offensive line and say this is a one-year sample size, right? Because it's, no, kind, it's kind of been the know. same thing every single year, and you can point to whatever you want to point to, injuries, coaching, recruiting, development. I, you know, I don't. We're not behind the scenes. We can't really give you a weighted average of what each component is that's com- uh, coming together here. Like Only Campbell's going to be able to do that in a real evaluatory way. But you can't look at what's happening this season and isolate it at that position group from what's happened in previous seasons. I think it gets a little bit more dicey elsewhere, or not dicey, but muddier, unclear, a lack of clarity on what is to blame. <laughs> You'll get it. Uh is this an isolated season with a lack of production elsewhere, the lack of attention to detail, the drops, the turnovers, and on down the line? I think that's a harder eval to make, but I think there's evidence on both sides of it's just a young group versus it's a group not being put in the best position to succeed. I don't even know where to go with that, but no, you're right. Um, to me, it, it, I mean, we can talk about the injuries, injuries in the in the running backs room, and I don't know whether we've said or not that the Jirel's out for the season. Campbell Campbell announced that to us on. Dude has had a, waited his turn for a long time and really had. Oh, a and he's a great, unlucky. He's season. a great guy. I mean, what a what a wonderful story. Here, let me talk about him for a second. What a wonderful story. He could have portaled any time, any time he could have. He could have portaled before, um. Before Brees, knowing or at that most early guys would have left after that freshman year. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. But no, he he could have left after last season. He did not. I mean, this guy is the epitome of of um, of, of loyalty. I remember asking his mom once doing a, doing a story. I said, I and she was telling me that's just his mentality. He's never quit anything in his life. And I said, come on. I said he's got to have quit something, and she thought a minute, and and said, "Okay." He stopped playing the saxophones when he was just a little kid. To, How dare to devote, he? 
to go <laughs> play football. And how, yeah, and I said, how dare him? You know, but that's it. That's it. He stopped playing a musical instrument so he could go play, go play sports. Granddaughter plays saxophone, so I got to be careful here. <laughs> but, um, and she, but she's a teenager. Um, but, but anyway, I feel so, I, I, I feel bad for, for Jirel. I really do. I don't know whether Iowa State would have been a whole lot better with him, but I surely would have liked to have seen. And I don't know whether, I don't know when the last time we've seen a healthy Jirel, the Iowa game, maybe. I don't know. That's certainly, we certainly haven't seen the, we've certainly seen a regression overall of the offensive line since the Iowa game. I don't think there's any question about that. They've shown signs, but overall, I, you know, I don't think you're going to go leave a game saying this offensive line is great, but I feel, I feel for Jirel. There have been, there have been injuries in the running backs room, but I don't know how big of a excuse that really is. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of this is not going to be settled until the off season and there's still two games left for Iowa State starting this weekend at home against Texas Tech in a game that they're favored, followed by undefeated TCU in Fort Worth, which, Randy, it really seems like this is setting up. If Iowa State wins one more game, they can get to a bowl game. I think the latest CBS projections had them as one of two 5-7 and seven teams that would get a bid based on their APR and the lack of six-win teams to fill bowl spots. You know, we we got to wrap up here quickly before we get to uh, Tommy Birch to talk about some Iowa State women's basketball. But what is your, I guess, overall thoughts on Iowa State, A, getting the five wins, and then B, going to a bowl game, You know, being still short of that six-win threshold? I think they can probably get – I think they can get the five wins. If they don't – I mean, I think they can beat beat Texas Tech. Their juice is – that stadium is going to be juiced with, you know, senior day and, and – and, you know whatever goes along with that. As far as as far as getting reaching a bowl game with five wins, yeah. I mean, if a five win, if a five win team goes, if two five win team goes, then yeah, Rice and Iowa State will go. But what do I think about that? Fifteen extra practices, as the coaches always say. But who's he going to be coaching? Do you really think Xavier Hutchinson is going to play in that bowl game? For example, do you really think Trevor Downing is going to play in that bowl game? For example, these seniors who who have um, NFL draft in their you know in their eyes. Do you really think um, Ant Anthony Johnson Jr. is going to play in that bowl game? I don't know. They may, but players opt. I mean, how many players from Iowa State last year opted out last year? David and or I'm sorry, Brees and and um, Mike Rose. Mike Rose. It could happen. And yeah. I wouldn't blame them for going to a nothing bowl game that all you're getting out of it is 15 extra practices for the kids. I don't know. Yeah, and you're talking about you know like an Xavier Hutchinson that played through what a broken thumb exactly. last year. Exactly. So like the the risk reward he's there proven is proven everything. He's a great statistically the best receiver Iowa State's ever had. In, independent of guys opting out, I think obviously if you get an invite, you take it and you get the practices sure. and you get the more experience. But I don't know. I don't think if you get to a bowl game at five and seven, that should change anybody's view and evaluation right. on the season. I think that's a it's a gift for having good APR, which that that matters. Like Iowa State, if if that APR measures what you do off the field, you know, kudos to Iowa State for putting themselves in a position right. to get the extra practices, to get the extra game because of taking care of business in the classroom. They should get credit for that. In terms of what they've accomplished this football team, this football season with this football team, I don't think this would add anything to it. Does that last game against what I imagine would be a pretty middling opponent 
do anything to jump start this team into next season to give you a better idea of an evaluation on the team you have now and what you've accomplished. I would doubt it, but I guess we'll see. So I just, to me, I think kudos for putting yourself in the position if you're able to win on either this weekend or next. But to me, I don't think when you're looking at a 12 game sample size, you know, getting a exemption into a bowl game against what's probably not going to be a very good team should probably have any huge bearing on the way anyone looks at the 2022 season for Iowa State. When we return, we'll be back on the Cyclone Insider Radio Hour from the Des Moines Register here on 106.3 FM and 1460 KXNO talking to Tommy Birch and some hoops. Everything you need to know about Iowa State, it's Cyclone Insider with the Des Moines Register on 1460 KXNO. Welcome back to the Cyclone Insider Radio Hour from the Des Moines Register here on 106.3 FM and 1460 KXNO. If you missed any of the discussion between myself, Travis Hines, and Randy Peterson in the first segment talking about Iowa State's disappointing offensive performance overall, offensive line performance specifically, and the potential of a 5-7 and seven bowl game. Be sure to check us out wherever you get your podcast to hear the entirety of that enlightening and intelligent discussion between... Uh, Two mediocre guys, uh, but now we That's bring on nice of a show. Now we bring on even less than a mediocre guy in Three mediocre Tommy guys. T- Tommy Birch <laughs> from the Des Moines Register to talk a little Iowa State women's basketball. Bill Fennelly's group ranked in the top ten, two and zero overall, and have Northern Iowa in Cedar Falls on Wednesday night. We haven't had a chance yet to have Tommy on to talk about the women's basketball program. And Tommy, I don't know that. We've learned anything that we didn't already suspect, uh, given Iowa State's 2-0 start of the year, but what have been the early impressions on Ashley Jones and company uh, through two games? Yeah, I mean, they've been fine. Nothing overly amazing. You know, I would say they've actually struggled to shoot the ball, which is a little bit of a surprise, but it's not totally a shock given that it's still early in the season, still just two games into the season and given that Iowa State really hasn't played anybody of of substance and that's not to take anything away from Cleveland State or Southern, but you know, they've gone by on um just their ability to be the the overly more talented team and, you know, from here on out the schedule is gonna get a little bit tougher, you know, with these in state games as we saw with Iowa and Drake and uh, Iowa State playing at you and I Wednesday night. You know, weird things happen in these games, and um, it's it's always interesting because it seems like there's always an Iowa kid, especially from the team that is not favored, that always steps up and has a really good game and, and really emerges. Kind of like what we saw with Drake and, and Katie Denebier. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens Wednesday night with you and I and Iowa State because. That'll be Iowa State's, uh, I think, really first true test of of the young season. Tommy, what are you? What's your thoughts on the newcomer, Steph Soares? How do I say it, Soares? Soares. Um, yeah, you know, I, I just write it, man. It's uh, no, she's been really impressive, and I think what is really amazing is, like, man, there have been some really high hopes around her. There's been absolutely no shine array from what type of impact she can have. You know, she was brought in to, to start and to star right away. You know, they, they desperately needed some help with the post play. You know, that was probably the biggest bugaboo for, for Iowa State last season where, you know, they ran into some really tough physical, just 
taller teams that pushed Iowa State around, you know, the Baylors, the Texases. Um, they really gave Iowa State problems, and I think the idea is Stephanie can help bring bring in some size, strength, and you know, versatility too that can really uh, fix up that area of need for Iowa State. And so far, she's done that. You know, she can she can rebound, she can disrupt shots on the paint, she can score. And she she's shown she can even you know step out and shoot the three. So so far she is she has really lived up to the hype so far. That's what I was just going to ask you about about her three point shooting. How much of how much of a factor do you envision that will be going forward, or at least uh, shots factor, for her? I, mean, I think I think she's just got to be able to show that she can do it and hit a couple here and there. But you know Iowa State's got a, a, a plenty of other yeah. options that can shoot it from. From beyond the arc with Ashley Jones, Lexi Darnarski, um, you know Emily Ryan, they've they've got a plethora of shooters. But you know, as you know, being able to stretch the floor, bring that defender out, can can create some really good mismatches for Iowa State, and that's where I think Iowa State's going to be able to take advantage of of her versatility and the versatility of Ashley Jones too. Talking to Tommy Birch of the Des Moines Register here on the Cyclone Insider Radio Hour. And Tommy, with Iowa State hitting the road on Wednesday to play at UNI, obviously the uh, Cyclones will continue to be the the favorite in that game. But given what we saw with what Drake and Iowa did earlier or last weekend, what what is the value of playing such a game, an in-state game, on the road early in the season for a team that – you know, has the expectations that both Iowa and Iowa State have had this season? You're going to get a really good test. I mean, I, I think the entire season that's going to be the case for Iowa State that you're going to get everybody's best because, look, you are a top-10 team. You bring everybody back. You're a team that went to the Sweet 16. You're favored to win the Big 12. Everybody knows, but it just adds more significance when – an in-state rival it's you know we see it in men's basketball we see it in football we see it in all the sports you know uh, with these these teams from northern iowa and these teams from drake there's usually a couple of pissed off kids you know guys or or young women they're really pissed off that iowa state or iowa overlooked them and they play with a chip on their shoulder want to go out and show them like man I'm, i'm a really good player you should have recruited me so i think a good test early on it's a good opportunity for them to encounter some quote-unquote adversity as as they love to say but um you know it's a really good build-up for what iowa state's eventually gonna have to deal with when 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 they go to portland and face a really tough you know schedule that includes michigan state and either north carolina and oregon to go back a little bit to the stephanie soar's discussion i think we've seen with teams across sports you know whether it was iowa state football last year or i mean you can run down the line of teams that have a lot of success and then just run it back the next year sometimes i don't know if it's the weight of the expectations or having to essentially start from zero after having so much success can be really tough but when you bring in when you run it back as iowa state is essentially doing but you add a big piece like that that was not part of the success is there a sense that that kind of changes the dynamic of it's not just the same team, you know, trying to get back to where they were, but a new team, you know, trying to achieve, you know, what this top 10 team, you know, seems to have on the table this season? 
yeah, I think it injects some new life, some new energy, some um, some new excitement to the team as well. But I mean, this is already a pretty hungry team too. Where you know, up and down the line, you know, there are countless stories about a lot of these players and just how much they love basketball, how often they're in the gym. You know, my my favorite was about Emily Ryan and Lexi Darnarski and Aubrey Jones who eventually transferred to Oklahoma during the COVID-19 pandemic, just driving around Ames to find uh, basketball hoops to, to shoot on. And Emily Ryan would, you know, eventually once the basketball facility opened up, would call Josh Carper, the director of basketball operations, early in the morning every day to to let her in. So, I mean, it's a team that's already super hungry, but I think, yeah, that when you bring that new sense of um, – excitement and energy to the roster of somebody that hasn't experienced that type of success and, and wants to be a part of it as well. I think it only helps. And the great thing too is, you know, it's not like Iowa state lost a ton too. You know, they still have Morgan King who started the majority of games for Iowa state last season. It's been very productive so far this season. It's been very understanding of the role that Stephanie can play moving forward and what a big benefit that is for Iowa state. So you not only gain something, but you know I think your your bench benefits as well having somebody with the amount of starting experience that Morgan Kane has and and the willingness to play that role goes a long long way. He's Tommy Birch of the Des Moines Register. Be sure to check out all his women's basketball coverage for the top ten Cyclones all season long. Thanks, Tommy, for coming on. And that's all we've got this week for the Cyclone Insider Radio Hour from the Des Moines Register here on 106.3 FM and 1460 KXNL. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.